The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. On these two sides, feel free to grab one. You're going to need it. Snow wakes you guys up. Yeah, you were lively. It's good. Well, my name is Pastor Chad, and I'm the associate pastor here at Jacobswell Church usually up here doing the music, but this morning I get the opportunity and the privilege of being able to preach God's Word to you this morning. Um, So, all right. So again, we're in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. Matt, wake up. Matt, wake up. You gotta get downstairs, Matt. He came. Santa came last night. Quick, wake up. You got to see what he brought. On more than one occasion, Matt was roused awake just like this by his older brother. And on more than one occasion, Matt would quickly and violently jump out of his bed and bolt downstairs. And just as he would make his way toward the living room where the tree and the cornucopia of presents were stacked each year, he would look out the window and find his hopes dashed once again to pieces. You see, older brothers have a gift. A gift of being able to take every ounce of hope that we younger brothers have and squash it with disappointment and frustration. It's part of the responsibility and privilege of being an older sibling. What did Matt see out the window that would crush his hopes? Green grass, leaves on the tree, sprinklers watering lawns. It wasn't December 25th. It was July 25th. Santa hadn't come. Christmas wasn't here. Not even close. And Matt would make his way back to bed. Sad. Empty. Disappointed. Crushed. Pulling his head under the covers once again. He recalled the joys of past winters, past Christmases, and also the future promise that Christmas was going to come and that his older brother would one day leave for college. (laughs) Zechariah was familiar with a similar pattern of hopes crushed on several levels. For years, him and his wife, Elizabeth, had hoped for a child. Not only to carry on the family name, but to remove the stigma and shame surrounding their marriage. In ancient Jewish culture, there were a list of people who were considered excommunicated by God. At the top of the list were Jewish men who had no wife. Next, number two on the list, were Jews who had a wife but had no children. 
And every month, when Elizabeth's body would bring the crushing news, not pregnant, both she and Zechariah would certainly have felt the painful sting of the scorning words, barren. And night after night, and year after year, they would crawl into bed, getting more achy and sore from an increasingly aging body. And they would say goodnight, not only to each other, but also to a hope of a future that would go beyond themselves. As age wore on both of their bodies, so too did an acceptance of their circumstances. They weren't going to have any children. Their hope was no longer deferred. The hope of a child was basically snuffed out. But there was another hope that remained on the table for Zechariah. Being born from the line of Aaron, the priest, Zechariah was born a priest. It didn't mean a whole lot in these days because many men were born from Aaron's line. And priests were kind of a dime a dozen. There were thousands of them. Too many to have any spiritual significant work to do except maybe a week's worth of service where they would go to the temple in Jerusalem and thousands of them would serve every year. But every year, Zechariah, along with the thousands of other priests, held out hope that they might win the priestly lottery. Because every morning and evening, incense of prayer was offered to the Lord in the holy place of the temple. And one priest was chosen by lot to enter into the holy place of the temple and burn incense, taking the prayers of the people into the ear of God in the heart of the temple. And this year, Zechariah's hopes were realized as the lots were cast and he heard his name called out. Here, Zechariah had the opportunity to intercede as a true priest to offer before the Lord the prayers of Zechariah's people, Israel. And the prayer request line of Israel had a common theme. Salvation. To Zechariah and to the remainder of the Israelite people, salvation wasn't so much spiritual for them as it was political. You see, for hundreds of years, Israel was under the power and pursuit of enemies and kings whose thirst for power was often on the backs of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people walked the streets in fear of Herod, of the new regime, the Romans, and the mistreatment by enemies that went back years and years before Zechariah's birth. And they're saying things like, How long, O Lord, we're being stepped on as a people. You promised Messiah. Messiah, come soon. We're being ridiculed and mistreated. You promised Messiah. Messiah, come soon. We're being unfairly taxed and we're losing our land. You promised Messiah. Messiah, come soon. And for many of us today, as Kimberly prayed this morning, we are either Matt or Zechariah. We wake up in the morning hoping to lay eyes on a special gift 
and instead maybe set eyes on an empty living room where dad used to sit in his recliner or grandma used to sit and do her puzzles. Or we walk past the quiet nursery where all the gifts from the baby shower need to be returned because she's not here. Some of us may be waking up, not in the morning, but rather in the middle of the night, consumed, not with visions of sugar plums dancing in our head, but maybe nightmares of being hurt by someone who was supposed to protect us. Or maybe we're plagued with constant anxieties about the boss who's treating us differently lately, and he's talking cutbacks. Maybe it's what feels like the curse of singleness or the disappointment of marriage or fear you'll lose your house or your health or your mind. And maybe it's the doubts that the faith that you once had and was on fire for is now just a smoldering wick and you lay in your bed in the dark in the long stretches of silence and you cry out, you promised a Savior. Please send him soon. As Christmas rolls around, you might find yourself going through the motions because Christ's birth has maybe become more of a legend or a tradition or a fairy tale than life itself. So finally, Zechariah had the opportunity to offer these prayers, these how long, Messiah come soon prayers to a holy God in the holy place, the temple of the Lord. And as he stepped foot in the holy place of a holy God, he lost his footing. For there, next to the altar of incense, was an angel of the Lord, blazing with the glory of the Lord. And the message the angel Gabriel spoke was a double-barreled message of hope. Zechariah, you're going to have a son. Zechariah, you're going to have a savior. This was too good to be believed. Wait a minute. No more hopes dashed. No more waking up in the morning to Elizabeth's disappointment. No more waking up in the morning to the cry of his people. Zechariah needed some evidence. He wasn't going to get his hopes up again. So he asked the angel for a sign to prove that this news was legit. And in a moment, by God's simultaneous grace and rebuke, Zechariah received the sign that he asked for. Complete silence. Zechariah's ears became deaf. His mouth became mute. Zechariah would become the spokesperson for God, not with words, but with silence. A silence that had been going on for 400 years prior as the words of the Lord were no longer heard. A silence that would be promised and prophesied in the book of Amos when God 
out of judgment for the people's continual refusal to follow him would say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. A silence that was deafening. And what did that silence do? It generated both a thirst and a hunger to hear from the Lord. And out of God's silence of 400 years and out of silence of Zechariah's nine months of being unable to speak or hear, at his son's circumcision ceremony, as he's holding him possibly, Zechariah spoke the Holy Spirit-inspired words of praise found in today's passage. This is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 68. I'm just going to take a minute to be quiet as you hear the silence and then the words break out. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray as we ask the Lord to continue to shed light on the words in these verses. Father, we come before you remembering that you are a God who judged your people with silence. Because of their disobedience, you held your tongue. But your judgment doesn't end there. It continues with mercy. You go beyond judgment to mercy. And I pray, Father, that we would hear and see, taste and smell and understand your mercy, your tender mercy for your people this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Zechariah after being silenced for nine months, finally is able to give words to the thoughts that have rolled around in his heart and mind. 
If you've ever seen or read Dickens' A Christmas Carol, you see a dramatic transformation going on in the heart and mind of Ebenezer Scrooge. And I wonder if a similar change of heart and mind was going on for Zechariah. He's rebuked by an angel, Gabriel, who calls him out for his unbelief. And for nine months, Zechariah is just left to his thoughts. He's reading scripture and he's connecting the covenant dots to see the Lord of the past, the present, and the future. And at the end of this nine-month time, Zechariah blurts out these words of praise to a sleeping group of God's people who have struggled with nights of hopelessness, disappointment, and fear. And he says, in essence, wake up! Your Savior has come. How is Zechariah asking us this morning to wake up from our dark and disappointing nights? First, he's asking us to see our past and trust in a God who has rescued us. Second, he's asking us to see our present and repent of our unbelief. Third, he's asking us to see our future, and walk in the light of our reconciliation. First, to wake up from our slumber, Zechariah's words are calling us to trust in a God who throughout time and throughout the past has rescued us. The first word of his song of praise is the word blessed. And in the Greek, the word is eulogetos. Does that sound like an English word? It's our word, eulogy. When do you hear a eulogy? At a funeral, right? When everyone is looking back on a dead person's life and remembering the positive aspects of that person's impact and legacy. Tears are shed because we know we cannot have that person back. They're gone. They're dead. But can you imagine sitting at a funeral, eulogizing the person who is dead, and all of a sudden you hear them call from the back of the sanctuary, I've not gone anywhere. I'm still right here. In essence, this is what Zechariah is saying in the first eight verses of this passage. He's like, and I'm going to summarize and paraphrase a little bit these eight verses. He's saying, friends, I've been in my head for the past nine months, and guess what I figured out? God's not done. Remember the Exodus when he delivered our fathers out of the slimy pit of slavery? He's going to do that again. Remember when he told David that his son was going to take care of us and protect his people forever? The king, the horn of salvation, is coming. Remember when God... Prophet after prophet promised that even when the darkest days of judgment and silence would come upon us for our stinking stubbornness, that he would give us his Holy Spirit to live with us forever? He's opening his mouth again through this dime a dozen priest and through my son. And remember when he told our great, 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 great grandfather Abraham who is willing to give up his one and only son, Isaac, that God would use this family tree to make the world a brighter, better place again? There's a one and only son 
on the way. This would be one of the best eulogies a grieving audience could ever hear. Because instead of speaking of a dead man, Zechariah is speaking of a living God. As they look around them and see the death and destruction of a nation, Israel, as a result of enemies or corrupt politicians or narcissistic rulers, this eulogy is waking them up to see a God who is still alive, active, and alive. The fears of the Romans, King Herod, and the possibility of being booted out of their country is gone as they pledge allegiance and trust once again to a God who loves his people, who shows them incredible mercy and patience, and who promises never again to let them go. I had the privilege this week of attending what I would say was one of the most meaningful and gospel-saturated Catholic funerals that I have ever attended. And what I heard throughout the service was simply this. Jesus loved this woman. And in return, this woman loved others as Jesus loved her with her entire life. I heard near the end of the eulogy the words of the dead woman's daughter saying something like this. I hope, mom, that I could love others with at least half the love that you showed us. And as the hearse pulled away, I was standing in the back and I watched the daughter weep tears of sadness to see her mother and her mentor disappear from her life. And in that instant, I wanted to wrap my arms around the grieving daughter and say this, your mom is still alive. I see everything you described about her in you. She is still alive. As Zechariah's words are eulogizing a God who is still alive. I say to those of us who are fearing the political future or fearing foreign enemies or narcissistic rulers, trust in the God who has rescued you from your worst enemy, sin and death. And trust in the God who, though at times may appear silent, is actively at work in bringing redemption to a busted world. Where do you need to hear God's eulogy of all that he's done through Jesus? Because the world is eulogizing a world that's dead. Basically, I'll explain it this way. The general sentiment is something like, the world used to be really good. But now it's gone totally bad. So let's just, let's just drink or entertain or isolate or apathize our way through the pain of everything we're living. Zechariah's words this Christmas say, no. Our Savior God is still very much alive and in the business of making all things new. Trust that he's just as much at work now as he was when he made the promise to Abraham over 4,000 years ago. Trust him. He's still very much saving the world. Wake up and worship him so that the world might see in our holiness and righteousness and worship 
a God who is alive and who is not dead. Yes, let's eulogize God with our very lives. He's still alive. He's still here. First, Zechariah says, see your Christmas past and trust in a God who rescued you. Next, Zechariah turns his attention to his newborn son and says, see your present and repent of your unbelief. Zechariah never dreamed he would be holding his son in his arms. The son was now a promise of a future graciously given to him by a merciful and kind father. But Zechariah didn't believe that God was able to do such an impossible thing. So he lost his ears and his voice. And after nine months of silence, Zechariah looks at his son and names him, The Lord is gracious, Yohanan. And now Zechariah regains his voice once again and speaks to his son, giving him marching orders to prepare the way for a Savior who will make the impossible possible in verses 76 and 77. How would that preparation come about through Zechariah's son? Repentance. John would stand not on a street corner, but rather in the desert shouting, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As verse 77 says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. If you were an original audience member, you might have heard those words and been a little confused. Give knowledge of salvation. We know what salvation is. Why do we need knowledge? It's God saving us from all this mess down here. Sending his Messiah to come and put Herod in his place. To come and bust the chops of the Romans. To come and reform our tax bracket. Zechariah says to his son, in essence, prepare them, son, for a true understanding of salvation. For the past nine months, I've seen the mess that is my own heart, Zechariah says, and I, and I was a priest. Go and show them that the mess that the Messiah is coming to clean up is not about Herod's rule. It's not about the Romans' rule. It's about the unbelief that is ruling in many people's hearts. They believe they're okay and everyone else is corrupt. They believe that God is on their side because they're Jewish they believe that the only thing that separates them from God is time and not sin. Go and bring the good news that salvation, that the reason for Christmas for the Christ child is not so that the Romans or Herod will pay for the wrongs they've done. It's so that a merciful God will willingly pay for every wrong we have done. Go and remind them of the fundamentals of faith that we deserve hell and separation from God for our not believing him to be the source of anything good and instead deciding ourselves what we think would be better. Wake up their hearts to acknowledge their unbelief so they can fully appreciate their salvation. Think about our own hearts for a moment. Do we believe that we're okay and that everyone else is corrupt? 
repent? Do we use the word they and us a lot? Repent. Do we size up people in comparison to us, believing that we are here and you are there? Repent. Do we believe that God is on our side because we've gone to church for the past 20 years or that we tithe 10%? Repent. Do we believe that we're pretty darn close to the plumb line of perfection that God requires of us? Repent. Do we believe that the others, the murderers, the hit and runners, the addicts, the lazy, the poor, the abusers, the Muslims, the homosexuals, the abortionists, the feminists, the supremacists deserve hell. But we, we're not that bad. Repent. We, along with the audience of Zechariah's time, sometimes believe that the Lord only needs to save us from someone like Herod or something else like political oppression, some bad circumstance or some bad person. Zechariah's son would show them, and us, that the saving we need is from ourselves and our own sin. Louis Stoger writes, The man whose sins are forgiven is delivered from a power which constrains him more than enemy hands or hate. Because our sin separates us from God and makes us enemies of him. I remember an old and really dated horror movie, and I don't know why my parents let me see it. I was probably like six or seven. No, I was probably eight or nine. I don't know how old I was, but it was called Stranger in the House. (laughs) And it was about a babysitter who was watching two children. And during her babysitting gig, she began receiving frightening phone calls. And the phone calls from the person on the other end of the line was, were saying things like, I'm going to come and I'm going to hurt the children and kill the children. You are there to protect. And the movie reaches this pivotal climax when after contacting the police, calling 911, she tells the police, help me, help me, something's going on. I'm getting these phone calls. And they've traced the call before caller ID. They've traced the call. And they say these frightening words to the babysitter. We've traced the call. And it's coming from inside the house. For us to experience true salvation, we need to begin knowing that the Lord has traced the call. And the problem is coming from inside the house. I received a poem for my birthday this year from a friend, which I think helps to illustrate the need for this posture of repentance to going back to the Lord and away from our own ways. And it said this, talking to the Lord, if you grow short, then I'll grow long. Imagine all that will go wrong. You'd grow less while I'd grow more and act out deeds I should abhor. So, I'll grow dim. Let you grow bright. For then I rest 
in all that's right. Zechariah says to us, know that the salvation in the kingdom of God begins with the forgiveness of your sins. So repent and turn from those sins and turn toward a God that loves you and rescues you so that the enemies can be conquered and our relationship with him can be restored. Finally, Zechariah and the word of God wants to lead us toward a Christmas future, a future that can begin today where we walk in the light of our reconciliation. Wake up. There's a future for us that is all about peace. A peace that would come through the light of the promised Savior, Jesus Christ. Look with me at verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Another baby will be born after Zechariah's son and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. God loves his people with such tender mercy. Literally, tender mercy means from the bottom of his heart. That he would not leave us without hope or without help in conquering our sin. We were helpless, sitting in darkness. Frozen like the babysitter on the phone with the police who knew she had no escape because the enemy was within the walls of the house. Certain death where the shadows have closed in, sitting in darkness. But the God who has rescued in the past and who wakes us up to the present sinful condition is dawning with a final word, the word of God becoming flesh. Visiting us from on high, he came down from heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit became man for us and for our salvation. He was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. Right now, he is ascended in heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father. To those who do not know Christ as your salvation, wake up. The dawn is here. Look outside. See the white? See the perfection? See the covering? See a saving God. Repent of your unbelief. And trust that he alone, a God who keeps his promises, can bring you the saving that you truly need. And for those who do know Jesus Christ as their peacemaker between God and man. He's calling us, like verse 79 mentions, to walk in the path of peace. Wake up. Get up and walk in the light of Christ bringing his peace to a dark and dying world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall, future tense, see God. 
Where is he calling you to walk in peace? Are there relationships even in this room which are in incredible need of repair and reconciliation? Bring the light of Christ's peace by taking a step toward peace in this relationship. Maybe as you anticipate some Christmas gatherings with family, are there people sitting around your Christmas table that you will have a hard time making eye contact? Look at them. Pray for them. Talk to them. Be merciful to them. And watch the dawn of Christ's coming begin to warm and transform yours and I hope their heart. Maybe it's bringing the light of Christ's peace to a person or a group of people who desperately need mercy. Those who can't fend for themselves, who are trapped in their own house of sin and suffering. Shine a light in their windows by bringing them a warm blanket, an encouraging word, a helpful presence, an undeserved gift. Show them the tender mercy of God. And maybe there's even an enemy that you couldn't imagine forgiving because their offense is too heinous. See the tender mercy of our God, who in the light of his holiness, he sees our sin better than we can see it ourselves. But instead of distancing himself from our heinous offenses, he comes down to us. Emmanuel, God with us. And on the cross, carries our heinous offenses on himself, offering forgiveness and mercy. Shine the light of peace, the light of Christ that we've received to those enemies. And extend to them forgiveness by giving them what they certainly do not deserve. Forgiveness. I want to close with this. I had a vivid dream this past week that reminded me with incredible clarity the tender mercy of God described in this passage. We recently, about a month ago, went on a Disney cruise, and uh, that's probably what prompted this dream in my mind. But in the dream, I was with my youngest son, Charlie, and we were on the ship in the middle of the ocean. And we were standing on a platform of the ship deck, looking out at the massive expanse of water around us. And I had given Charlie warning, don't get too close to the railing, bud. And like every three-year-old, he was testing the limits. And in my dream, I turned my back to talk with one of my other sons and then turned around again to find Charlie vanished from sight. And my heart sank. My son had jumped off the ocean liner. And he's in the deep waters. And I knew there's not a chance he's going to survive. It was certain death for a three-year-old. And as I began to scan the waters looking for him, I located his silhouette just under the water and I'm watching him flailing. And I was screaming, no, Charlie, precious Charlie, no. I saw him struggling to survive 
and knowing that it was just a matter of time before he would be gone. And I can't fully explain to you as a father what was going on in my heart in that dream. It was breaking in millions of pieces. I was given a glimpse in that dream of the tender mercy and affections the father has for his own children. I had to do something. I had to rescue him. And in the dream, I jumped overboard to swim out to my dying child as I grabbed on to his little lifeless body in the middle of the depths of the ocean. I noticed something very strange and foreign happening. I felt ground under my feet. It was then that I could stand and raise my son out of the water. I knew that he was going to be okay. And peace just washed over me. And I held onto him tighter than I'd ever held him before. Friends, because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise of God shall visit us from on high. Our disobedience led us to jump out from our Father's protection, jump into the ocean of independence and certain death. And because of the tender mercy and affection God has for his children, our Father came down from heaven sending his one and only son to drown for us so that we could have something to stand upon and fully live. More than my heartbreaking love for Charlie, our father has so much affection for us that he'd give up his son for us. Trust in the God who rescues his children Repent of our unbelief by listening once again to his voice. And walk on the back of your Savior who took our drowning and instead gave us the light of life. Walk in the way of peace we have found in our Savior and Messiah, Jesus. The dawn is here. Wake up this Christmas. Look outside. Your Savior has come, and he's coming back. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful, so grateful, that you give us these words. And I'm grateful for Christmas, that every year we can remember what you've done. We can see that the God of Abraham, the God of our fathers, is a God who rescues. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Sin is the reason for the season. And your son came down to rescue us and save us from it. I pray, Lord, that as we go to your table this morning, that you would reveal to us those areas of our heart where there is unbelief. We're like Zechariah. We're becoming cynics. We're becoming doubtful. We're becoming calloused to the truth that we celebrate at Christmas. Open our hearts to see what's going on in our hearts. And Father, lead us back 
to the way of peace, to walk on the back of your son, Jesus, who died for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.